Welcome back to another episode of the FOMO Fans Podcast. My name is Brian Fanzo. Thanks so much for joining me. And, you know, as we're wrapping up the decade, it's actually the end of the year. It's always fun. You know, I get a lot of emails asking me for predictions uh, for 2020. And of course, as someone that, you know, does a podcast and as a full-time speaker, I feel like all I really do is do predictions year round every day, but predicting for the upcoming year is always something I actually take pretty seriously. I like analyzing um, what I predicted last year, what went right, what went wrong, how far I was wrong, how far I was right. Um, And then also kind of analyzing where I think things are going uh, in 2020 uh, and beyond. And I think, you know, the funny part of it being 2020, you know, everybody says, what's your vision for 2020, which, you know, God, God help marketers. But one of the things that I thought, you know, was interesting is you analyze the decade um, from 2010 to 2020 is, you know, we can actually think about it in the sense of, you know, in 2010, uh, October of 2010, to be specific, Instagram actually came out. So like, I think it's a great way for me when I'm trying to uh, think back about the decade itself. And as someone that lives in, and does a lot of creation on social media, I think of Insta- pre-Instagram is prior to 2010, post-Instagram is 2010 uh, to now. And there's been some interesting conversations around influencer marketing, where influencer marketing started, how influencer marketing has uh, impacted this last decade. And I stumbled across an article on Vice um, that I thought was actually really interesting. It said, goodbye to the influencer decade and thanks for nothing. Uh, that was the title. And I will say it was a really good clickbaity title that got my attention. And before I read it, um, and this is something I, I try to do every, one, every once in a while, is I, I, I read the, the title and then I realized it was on Vice. So, and Vice is one that I, I do uh, kind of support. They're, they're usually they're less biased when it comes to writing on, on certain topics that are trendy or, um, you know, buzz heavy. Um, so before I read the article, I actually jotted down on, on a piece of paper what I thought of the last decade of influencer marketing. And so I'm going to share a little bit about that from my point of view. Um, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about the article and where I think it's going. And I'm going to set you guys up. I actually think influencer marketing is at its 2.0 stage in 2020 and beyond. And it's going to be even more valuable, more powerful. And I have a, I have a bold prediction about what the term influencer will look like a decade from now. And I think you guys are going to enjoy that. But before I get to that, I like to share, you know, I've had the luxury, you know, in 2010, if you would have told me I was an influencer or a creator or someone that was a, you know, um, a marketing thought leader, um, in 2010, uh, right when Instagram was coming out, I would not have resonated with any of those, um, those examples. I, I called myself a change evangelist. Um, I was a evangelist for the data center company um, that I worked for. I had worked in cybersecurity and my background there, but I never thought of myself as a creator. I didn't think of myself as someone that was, you know, a videographer or a photographer or an artist or a musician. Um, and then the term influencer, really, I didn't really understand what even what that was or what it meant in 2010. But over this last decade, I've had the luxury um, and really the, I, I think the rare view on influencer marketing as I was labeled and, and awarded uh, uh, the top 20, uh, 20, 2014 social business leaders uh, of the future by The Economist um, in 2014. And from that moment, I kind of got labeled as an influencer, especially 
in the B2B space, in the enterprise technology space. And then over 2014, 2016, 2017, I started to work with brands on building strategies um, as an influencer. And then over the last couple of years, I've even taken on the duty of hiring influencers from a brand perspective, right? So, and, you know, being able to also work alongside um, some tools that are that are influencer tools. And so I feel like I have the rare... Um, you know, visibility. And, and also, you know, let me just say, I am someone that not only loves and studies influencers, but um, is someone that when I, you know, you can listen to the TikTok episode um, on this podcast, you know, I spent a lot of time analyzing consumer habits, the psychology of marketing, um, today's creators versus yesterday's creators, what inspires someone to engage versus someone to take action? What does the word even engagement mean? Um, and I think this is an interesting time that we're in because, you know, for me over this decade, you know, you know, Instagram came out. Um, I wasn't an early adopter of Instagram, uh, mainly because I didn't think of myself as a photographer. I mean, I remember the actual first time I ever used Instagram, someone told me, well, Brian, did you know if you post to Instagram, it shares to Facebook and Twitter at once? And so I actually first thought of Instagram as a, as a social sharing photo app that allowed me to post to two platforms at once. I didn't think about like the feed on Instagram. Like why would I didn't need something else at that point? I was, I was heavy on Twitter um, through uh, Pittsburgh sports and and some of the things that I was doing there. Of course, Facebook, I was um, on Facebook uh, for, you know, a couple years at that point. And and so for me, you know, I think about it back then, you know, and you know, the, the stat came out, there's, you know, 1 million users signed up for uh, Instagram in their first three months. Of course, Instagram, you know, in those early days of social media, the funny thing is that like the times have changed so drastically since 2010 um, and Instagram. And I, and I do think influencer marketing has changed along with it. But I think there's also this element of, you know, and it's something that I always like to you know, kind of express is that influencers and influencer marketing has been in existence for forever. What social media did was it allowed us to actually start to put a little bit more data behind it. It also added, allowed us to add vanity metrics to this idea of what influence is. Um, we also started to better understand when, how, and where we were being influenced, right? You know, if you think about it prior to Instagram or prior to a lot of the social media, we were being influenced by, um, you know, someone driving a car that we liked as they, as they pulled into a parking lot, or we were being influenced by a billboard, or we are influenced by the the ads or the product placement inside of a movie in a movie theater. All of these things were elements of influencer marketing. The thing about it was back then, the influencers were not anyone that we could relate to. The influencer itself, like tracking when or where we were influenced, really didn't um, exist. And I would say part of the biggest thing for me is that as consumers... As audience members, if we think back in 2010 as content consumers, as you know, even just as con- uh, customers of brands, um, even in the online space, uh, Amazon included, we weren't very well equipped. We were very naive. Um, we made a lot of assumptions about data, about information. We made a, uh, we kind of a, we we looked at a lot of things without doing a lot of research because the research was never at our fingertips. Um, if you think about it, 2010, just even the idea of carrying our phone around in our house sounds foreign. Like we would have, no one would would have carried their their iPhone or their smartphone in their pocket while they're walking around their house. That was idiotic. In 
2010. And now we laugh about it, right? Everyone takes their phone to the bathroom. Everyone, you know, you get up from the couch to get a drink and you put your phone in your pocket. And so when we think about how connected, how dialed in consumers are, for me, you know, those early days, 2013, 2014, 2015, you know, people would, you know, I would get hired um, to come to an event. I, I did a lot of IBM events, Dell events, Samsung. I got sent to South by Southwest, CES, Mobile World Congress um, in Barcelona. And I was sent there by brands. Brands would hire me. And a lot of times what they would say is, we want to give you, we want you to give you access to this. And then we want you to just to tweet it out. We want you just to share what's going on. And it, at the time, it wasn't even share your point of view. They were actually a lot of times looking at it as like free documentation of what was happening. I mean, I remember some of my early influencer jobs, they would actually, they, the, the only reporting they asked for was really the transcript of my tweets. Like they didn't really even care about how much exposure my tweets got. Now that they did, I'd say 2015, 2016, they started to look at this idea about um, trending on Twitter or total visibility or, um, you know, total possible eyeballs on there. But in the early days, it was like I was doing live blogging, live documentation, live you know, let's just say live um, journaling of these different events for, you know, product releases for behind the scenes. I remember, you know, uh, getting access to a TED talk. Um, I went to a TED talk in 2014 and I was there as an influencer. And when I asked them what they expected of me is they were like, we would just love for you to share out things that, that st stand out for you and what this TED talk experience is from someone that is in the audience. And I was like, oh, wow, that's kind of unique. And I remember putting it out there. And, you know, I didn't have very many followers on social media at the time, but I was getting like an engagement rate on my tweets at like a 40% ratio because at the time, no one was getting access to that kind of events. We weren't live streaming. We weren't providing video. And so if I look at it over the decade, one of the things that I think has been interesting is for me, the early days of this decade as an influencer, we're just about, hey, you're going to be part of this exclusive club. We want you to journal it and push it out. Then it was, we want to give you access to cool things that have a virality to them because we want to trend on Twitter. We want to convince our CMO or our event manager that um, bringing influencers is important. And this is why social media is valuable. And, and think about it th as this way as well. 2010 to 2016, social media was not a marketing initiative for the most part. It was something that some, t some co companies were doing, but most of the time it w there was no set job for a social media manager or a, a social media leader. I remember, you know, working at the data center that I worked for, you know, the social media manager on my team, uh, Vincent Orlick, who is still a really good friend of mine, he was under the PR comms team, not the marketing department, right? Like, so, and I remember like for us as a, a data center that I was working for, for um, in the early part of the decade, you know, when we looked at influencers, it was analysts that weren't going to cost us a lot of money, right? Let's put this in perspective, right? And, and if anyone understands the role of an analyst, I mean, analyst is really an influencer that has credibility based on their writing, the white papers, or the, the access that they are provided, and, and really how good their networking and relationships are. I mean, I think 
a great analyst, um, especially a tech analyst in 2020, is one that has great influence on social media, as well as a great following, a great ability to write, a great ability, uh, you know, a lot of respect and trust. Um, I, I've always studied great analysts as those that I believe are doing influencer work the right way. Now, for the most part, now let's face it, some of this has been gamed. And I, and I want to also kind of clarify that I'm not someone that believes influencer marketing has been on the up and up since the beginning. But I do believe it's something that we've always valued that has always existed. But the thing about where we've come over the, you know, let's say the first half of the decade and the second half of the decade is the consumer got smarter. The marketers, CM, marketing leadership started to value social media, value reach. And I would say they valued reach kind of like they valued the, the, the ROI of a billboard on the side of the road, right? They were talking about total projected eyeballs. How many cars drive by that, that billboard? Okay, that's how we're going to value the, how much that billboard is worth. That's how a lot of social media value was looked at. And that's how a lot of influencer initial uh, engagement was looked at. And I can tell you, you know, for me, I remember some of the gigs that I got, um, CES, for example, you know, CES hired me. Um, actually, I had three different brands hire me uh, at CES. And the funny thing about it was they didn't even know. I kept asking them, what does success look like for you working with me? And they, and they were paying me fairly well. They were paying me, I think, four or five grand a day uh, to cover their event. And I, you know, I had a couple different um companies that were paying me. So I kind of was able to kind of spend, I think, six or seven days um, at that event. I spent 12 days at South by Southwest. But I can tell you, the reporting that was asked of me was so little that when I would reply, I would, I, and I, this is something, you know, this is a lesson we can all learn. Uh, if you're working with a brand or someone's hiring you to do something, if you provide more reporting and more details and more information than they asked for or they expected, even if that data isn't as amazing as you might like it to be, I can almost guarantee you they will hire you again. Because a lot of times brands don't know what they they need unless you're providing it. And as it's been one of my secrets since day one is that for all of the influencer work I do, I send them the raw the raw um, the raw video, the raw pictures. I send them the most popular tweet. I send them, oh, did you know that this was retweeted by this person? Did you know these three analysts started a conversation based on this Instagram post that I made? Did you know that during my podcast, I mentioned these three things, right? And so for me, the decade of influencer marketing has really been uh, for you know for me as an influencer, and I'll explain more from a strategist. For me as an influencer, has been a very easy game to win. Um, and it's not that I wasn't, you know, I, I do believe um, I'm influential and have trust of my audience on certain topics in certain environments. I'm able to, to provide a unique perspective uh, on certain things. It's really what I'm hired for as a, as a keynote speaker today is that um, it's really a continuation of my uh, influence that I had garnered over the last decade. But, you know, I think it's been, it's been fun for me to see because I think now, 2019, 2020, influencer market is moving into this 2.0 age and part of that is because we are no longer allowing the platforms to dictate what we should be measuring and then we as marketers are now understanding the value of content creation the value of word of mouth the the value of evergreen content and even the value of of the or the difference between getting something that goes viral versus getting something that is influential to two or three of our target customers versus a paid partnership and I can tell you that was something that always bothered me throughout this decade and as a strategist this was something that 
was it was just kind of the way that it, it always worked was influencer marketing was very much campaign based in this decade. I would say the influencer marketing campaign focused um, engagements will will soon come to an end. That's probably one of my bold predictions on influencer marketing is that I believe that campaign-based influencer marketing uh, no longer works. This idea of working with someone one-off, randomly giving them a product to hawk on their Instagram because they have 100,000 followers or sending someone something um, in the hopes that they share it to their audience one time, um, that's kind of, that is billboard marketing, right? And the funny thing about it is if you are treating something as a billboard but wanting you know, engagement and reach and influence, you know, a billboard today, I don't believe is very influential at all. It's great for uh, a reminder. It's great for keeping something top of mind. But I think when we look at influencer marketing moving forward, it's going to be about brand partnerships. It's going to be about brand evangelism. It's going to be about co-creation of content. And it's going to be about collaboration between multiple influencers and brands, multiple brands and one influencer, or multiple influencers and one brand. I too truly believe as we're kind of merging out of this original influencer or marketing decade is that it's kind of exciting. And we're also moving towards authenticity being the number one value add rather than being your total number of followers or the type of content you create or the aesthetic on your Instagram account or your total amount of YouTube su- um, subscribers. You know, it was funny for me, I was talking to a brand uh, just recently and they were telling me how how they were blown away the, the how the subscribers on YouTube did not equal the, the total amount of potential people to be influenced um, via an influencer or a content creator was, and I thought that was that was a really interesting piece. And so, for me, I think this whole decade has been interesting. And one of the things that came up in this article that I mentioned before from Vice, and I wanted to kind of kind of set this out there, and and they're the ones that that put it out. And I will tell you, it's from a, the Business Insider report. You know, influencer marketing in 2019 was evaluated at an eight billion dollar industry, eight billion with a B, and it's expected to balloon to a fifteen. Uh, expected to balloon another to fifteen billion dollars by twenty twenty. Like that, I mean, that is that is insane, right? And and the idea where there are some influencers that make fifty thousand dollars a week, there are some that make fifty thousand dollars per post. Um, I read an article recently about a, a YouTuber that posts uh, once or twice a month, but each video is generating him uh, over a hundred thousand dollars based on um, AdSense as well as his brand collaborations. And so I think it's it's something that for us to think about. There's also this influence this this idea where where because anyone can be an influencer and technically everyone influences somebody, this idea of macro influencer, micro influencer, nano influencers, what we're going to start to see is it's not, we need to shed those labels. And when we start looking at the type of influencer, it shouldn't be that we shouldn't label an influencer based on the, the, their amount of influence, which is what nano and, uh, and micro and macro, or that, that actually we, those labels are even less than amount of influence. Those are amount a less of potential influence because that's based on the number of followers you have. What we need to start looking at it and and start gauging someone's influence on is the total amount of potential in that 
target audience of people that are going to be buying or could be influenced based on our product, right? And I and I've said this before. You know, one of the most successful uh, you know engagements I did was with uh, the tool Grammarly. You know, I sent out one tweet um, f- using the tool Grammarly um, with an affiliate link. That that one tweet itself ended up getting well over four hundred people to sign up for their paid monthly service of their tool. And it's funny because you know there's other tweets that I've sent from other things that could have never would never get 400 800 or a thousand people to click and purchase something but that doesn't mean that i haven't that 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 influence doesn't exist and so i look at this as as a as a place that where we're going is that it is no longer about the total number of followers you have rather your level of authenticity with your amount of current existing trust with your audience overlapped by the target audience that that brand or con- or multiple brands want to reach. And I think this is the most exciting part. I believe as we move forward in Influencer 2.0, the influencers are going to lo- look a lot less like a movie star and look a lot more like the person next door. They're going to look a lot more like the person that you would run into. If we look at even what TikTok is doing from quote-unquote TikTok famous, the idea that anyone can upload a video and the video can go viral is what makes TikTok extremely unique. And it's giving people this idea that says, I don't have to have this giant Instagram account. I don't have to spend years on YouTube. Rather, if I build trust with my audience and something catches on and then people like that, I can ultimately grow in a, in a more faster paced environment. And I think this is exciting. I think this is something, this is a great place to go. And I, and I know in this article, and I'll put the article in the show notes for you guys to, um, to recognize reference, one of the things that was kind of mentioned in this article was really the the difference between a creator and an influencer and how so many creators today look at the label of being an influencer as a negative label. And here's the thing. It is not a negative label. If you are an influencer, it means that based on what you do, what you say, who you are working with, who you are aligned with, people trust you and they take action based on who you are, what you do, and, and where you're doing things, right? They're, you're inspiring people to take action based on the trust that you've built. And I, I've never looked at being an influencer as a bad labeling, but the problem is when there are celebrities that are hawking products and not disclosing it, they're always called influencers, right? It's so interesting to me when we award those that are being very influential that, that have a YouTube channel, we call them the creator awards. But when something goes wrong and there's an FCC violation or the fire festival or someone is exposed for what they're doing, we call them an influencer. And I would honestly say, I believe influencer the label of influencer is only negative because of how we have decided to craft the messaging around that very few times do we talk about a successful influencer we talk about successful creators and then we talk about how bad influencers are or how influencers have ruined trust and they're filtering things or they're they're using fake backgrounds or influencers are you know it's always an influencer that is um you know, keep on emailing a hotel to get a free hotel room stay. It's never a creator because if, it, if someone goes there and they're a travel blogger, they're like, wow, that travel blogger, that travel creator was amazing to work with. Well, guess what? They were an influencer. That's kind of how that all works. And so here's where my bold prediction goes when it comes to how we're looking at this moving forward. I think we are going to have a renewed emphasis on authenticity 
We are going to have a renewed emphasis on partnerships and collaboration. I think actually one of the things that I'm most excited about when it comes to influencer strategy is we're going to, I think we're going to move towards this idea where we team up a brand employee with an influencer, with another brand and another brand employee. And together we can kind of form this all in one. I think it's no longer about one-off influencer partnerships. Rather, let's partner with multiple brands and multiple influencers and create multiple pieces of content that could really reach a wide variety of audiences and also provide a fresh view on what's going on. I also feel that the idea of providing behind the scenes transparent access into your influencer projects are is going to be the future. You know, a couple episodes ago, I talked about uh, Aviation Gin, uh, the gin company that's owned by Ryan Reynolds, and how they did the Peloton ad within 24 hours. What I found more interesting about that was they had a news article, they had a video, and they did they documented behind the scenes what it took for them to pull off that video in a 24 hour span. Think about that. They were doing real time marketing based on a trending topic and they spent the time to document behind the scenes. The reason is, is if they caught backlash or if it started to succeed like it would, they were able to, they were able to double down on that value, double down on this genius marketing plan that they did. And so I'm excited. I believe we are moving into an influencer marketing 2.0. I believe B2B business will be where influencer marketing takes off the most. I believe the commercial side is so um, connected with affiliate marketing, um, MLM and advertising and paid spend that the, the commercial market will, will still take a little while to get into this true authentic space. But mark my words, B2B big brand partnerships where you're doing year-long um, activations, where you're going to multiple events, when you're doing multiple products over a longer period of time will be the new norm. And this new norm will also include the idea of employee advocacy, employee engagement. It'll also include the idea of an influencer becoming the face of a brand, an influencer becoming the brand spokesperson or the brand evangelist. And I truly do believe this decade has proven a couple things. And I'm going to wrap up this episode by saying this trust has never been more important in marketing we have never trusted a brand less than we do now but we have never trusted people that we are connected with more than we ever have before right the whole adage that those under the age of 30 actually trust a youtube creator that they follow more than their own friends is something we have to embrace we trust those that show up every week or every day. We trust those that share when they're having a good day and when they're having a bad day. We trust those that share how their business is run, how the, you know, the idea that we're starting to share you know, how much money we're making on certain projects. I think this is a great thing. So we are going to see authenticity grow. We're going to see transparency be demanded on all sides of an influencer marketing campaigns. And then last but not least, where I really truly think is we're going to see a resurgence of the word influencer. We're going to see people embrace the word influencer more. Mark my words, over this next decade, the idea of being a creator is great, but how does a creator 
re- to connect to business value, that is still takes some translation. That still takes some disconnect. But there is this idea where we couldn't figure out the value of social media over the last decade, but now every brand, every business understands the power and the importance of social media. I'm going to make that same argument for the power and the importance of someone that is an influencer because here is the big difference. Many people can create, many people can post on social media, but not everyone truly is influential in everything they do. Because remember, to be an influencer, it's not about having a big following, it's not about getting a lot of views, it's ultimately about inspiring action. You are not influential if no one takes action based on what you're doing or even the action that you are asking. If you are telling them to go download this, to go watch this, if you are asking them to click on a link, your influence should be measured based on the amount of people that you are able to make take that action. And so I think this is the most exciting part. Going viral on TikTok or having a ton of subscribers on YouTube does not make you influential. But if you're able to take that influence and turn it into a word of mouth campaign, or an advocacy campaign or a product release campaign or maybe a a special code behind the scenes campaign that is where the magic is in influencer marketing i truly do believe this next decade we are going to embrace and double down on influencer marketing that does not mean there will not be more fire festivals and more fraudulent i do believe we still have a ways to go with getting the fcc up to where we, they need to be. Um, the idea of being transparent when you're posting an ad versus when you're not posting an ad. All of these things still have some time to go. I, I still think that there are a lot of frauds out there today that are getting paid a lot of money to talk about a brand or a tool, but yet they're not disclosing it. And when they get exposed, I don't really care what the FCC is going to do. When they get exposed, their audience is going to stop trusting them. And it might not hurt them on that existing post, but it's going to hurt them on, a, on future posts. And I will, I will leave you with this. No matter where we are in the influencer marketing game, it takes, it takes a long time to build trust but you can lose trust overnight. And I firmly believe as someone that's kind of been in the influencer game since 2013, both as an influencer and as a strategist, that there is no one brand, there is no one product, there is no one person that is worth jeopardizing your trust with your audience. I don't care how big the contract is, how much money, how much visibility that something gives you. In this day and age where we are demanding authenticity, we are demanding transparency, and that trust can be lost so quickly by doing something that is so far outside of the norm that I don't care what brand or what opportunity it is. If it is something that does not align or has the possibility of risking your trust with your audience, Turn it down. Those that are not willing to turn down opportunities that are too risky will be those that are the overnight success. Those that are labeled as those influencers that go from you know hundreds of thousands of followers to living in their mom and dad's basement. That is not that does not make an influencer. An influencer is about building trust and having people take action. But ultimately, an influencer's true superpower is embracing and understanding and owning the fact that the trust they have with their audience is what's most important over everything. I believe valuing the trust that we have with our audience is what separates us as being an overnight success or someone that will be influential for years to come. 
My name is Brian Fanzo. I will put the links to these Vice articles um, in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the FOMO Fans Podcast. Uh, if you, you have your own thoughts on this, send me a tweet over on Twitter at iSocialFans with a Z or a Z. Hit me up on Instagram, iSocialFans, Facebook, Instagram, uh, even LinkedIn, uh, Brian Fanzo with a uh, F-A-N-Z-O over there on LinkedIn. Love to hear your thoughts on this topic. Uh, what is the last decade of influencer marketing meant for you and where are we going? I can tell you I'm bullish on it. I'm also an optimistic person to begin with, but I'm someone that is going to take a lot of this charge on myself on uh, making the the future of influence, the future of brand collaboration with those that are uh, good people doing good things um, to the next level. And it's something that excites me in my, my path to empower digital empathy in the future. Till next time, my friends, make it a great day. Cheers. <laughs>